all that you are, all that you do, all that you have uh, counseled us and admonished us with. Father, we thank you that you do that so much through your word. And as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, Lord, we pray that we would not just take it in as head knowledge, that we would allow your spirit to to teach us or to admonish us or to challenge us, um, and that it would show itself, Lord, in uh, not just being the same person today or, or this week, but that we would seek avenues to change because of what we have uh, listened to this morning from Pastor Adam and how your spirit will teach through him using his words uh, and his teaching to teach us. Father, we thank you again so much for your word. Uh, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, reading 5 through 17. First Corinthians 3, 5 to 17. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only through fire but as only through only as through fire do you not know that you are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in you if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy him for god's temple is holy and you are that temple this is the word of the lord Thank you. We're continuing a chapter that Pastor Mike began last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the context here, the church at Corinth, uh, is that you had tons and tons of infighting. People were not getting along with each other. They were thinking about church like secular people. And as a result, not thinking like a Christian about church, but thinking like a secular person about church. 
it resulted in disunity. These people were fighting, and the reality is that the church has a very different value system. Uh, so let's make sure that we understand what Paul means, what was going wrong at Corinth, and then we can relate this chapter to our own approach to church leadership. And I think there's a fundamental question here for us, and that is, what causes spiritual growth? What causes spiritual growth in my individual life, in your individual life, and what causes spiritual growth in this world, the growth of the church, so to speak, new churches and growing churches as people are evangelized and discipled? What causes spiritual growth? The problem at Corinth is that they answered that question with human leaders, The people at Corinth thought that human leaders were the most important thing. And maybe, well, of course, God is behind it, and there was this theoretical, theological background to it, but really, they overvalued their human leaders, and they fought like political parties over which candidate they thought should have more influence in the church. And Paul wants people to think about human leaders in the proper perspective. Jesus is the one who causes spiritual growth. Jesus is the one who makes us grow spiritually. Jesus is the one who makes the church multiply. And Jesus can do that through all kinds of human leaders. We have a tendency to put too much importance on one man or woman who has spiritually influenced us, to one pastor, one association of churches. And so Paul says, look, I'm just a servant. I took an assignment from Jesus to plant this church, and Apollos came along later. He took an assignment from Jesus to help take care of this church after I left. There are lots of other assignments. There are lots of other servants that God uses to build his church. So let's not get super loyal, super attached to one particular guy. You've missed where the real power in the church is. And so beginning with verse 5, I'm going to read 5 through 9. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. In other words, Paul was the one who got there first and he started things. Paul came along later and discipled it. So I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul is putting that little church at Corinth into the big context of what God is doing globally. Jesus is building his church And he assigns all kinds of servants all over the world to do that work. So it's crazy to narrow in on this one little place and this one little dude as if this is the center of what God is doing on planet Earth. And when we get that, when we understand that, when we understand this big global plan and this majestic and sovereign God that is behind it all, pushing back the gates of hell and helping us to love him and trust him more, then individual men and individual ministries become much less important. You can trust the God. You can trust that God will take care of you. 
even if certain human beings in your life come and go, even if certain human beings in your life fail, you are not dependent on those people. You are dependent on God who has lots of servants in lots of places. So Paul says, what then is Paul? What then is Apollos? We're just servants on assignment, servants on assignment. People thought too much of Paul. And other people thought too much of Apollos. They had their favorites and it caused arguments between them. Again, kind of like political parties. And the reason they were so jacked up is because they thought too much of these guys. They didn't see the power of God working through all kinds of different servants coming in and out of our lives. None of that matters because Jesus is the one who is sending people on these assignments. So Paul says, you've got to understand where the real power here is. You've got to understand who's really behind your spiritual growth. Who's the one really paying attention to your heart and to this community, to this nation? Who's in charge of this? It's Jesus Christ. And he sends out servants like me to, to, on these assignments to go temporarily uh, working in these various places. But God is the one who is behind it all. So Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, of course, we have our favorite preachers. We have our favorite book writers. We have our favorite leaders. There's nothing wrong with favorites. Paul isn't arguing against favorites here. Uh, Sometimes we even have mentors, people who really take care of us and help us grow in our faith. So, of course, we have varying degrees of love and affection and loyalty for, for different people. Uh, when I was 19, a guy like Mr. Moore, uh, similar to the way that Bill took care of high school students, there's a guy named Mr. Moore who took care of me. When I was spiritually lost, he invested in me. He spent time with me, invited me into his life, and he showed me what a godly man was. And that was a monumental year of my life. But it's, it's easy to misunderstand what happened there. Here's what happened. God gave Mr. Moore an assignment to disciple me. Now, if that's true, that puts the whole thing in a different perspective. My life was not quite as precarious as it seemed. If that guy hadn't come along, I'd maybe be dead today. No, God adopted me as one of his kids. He says, I'll take that fool right there. I want to make him my kid. And I'm sending this guy on an assignment because that's how God takes care of us. And so it changes the way that we think about those individual people. It puts them into a category of an honored servant. Don't overemphasize the importance of human beings in your spiritual growth. God loves us and God has lots of servants. If you keep your eyes open, you keep your heart receptive, God can teach you a lot of things in this life, even though those individual people will come and go. Now, it must have been uncomfortable when Apollos came to Corinth. The original church members who had been evangelized and organized by Paul, they, they were probably sitting there listening to Apollos week after week and looking at each other like, this guy isn't Paul. <laughs> That's true. Paul and Apollos were very different people, but they were servants of the same God. And who are you to criticize how God assigns different people at different times and places? These people are servants. They are only doing what God designed them to do. They are only following God's instructions. They are only empowered by God's Holy Spirit because God gives the growth. God gives the growth. 
This is a mistake that all of us make from time to time. We put too much importance on the things we can see and we undervalue the things we can't see. We all do that from time to time. In the value system of the church, it's the things you can't see that are the most important. We can see situations. It's harder to see a God that we can trust during those situations, right? But what's more decisive? The event or the God behind the event? We can see a man's skill. Harder to see a man's character. But which one is more decisive? Long term, which one's more decisive? Of course, it's the character. It's interesting to me that Paul and Moses were not known for their public speaking skills. Isn't that interesting? Paul described his public speaking as contemptible or of no account. This was apparently a common criticism of Paul. I don't really like him. He's boring. My daughter hates it when she comes and has to listen to him. And he defends himself in 2 Corinthians eleven six. He says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Ooh. You see, there are more important things than skill. This world praises people for talent regardless of their character. But in the value system of the church, it's what you can't see that matters. Any non-Christian could get online and take a spiritual gift assessment and find out what spiritual gift they have. Let me say that again. Any non-Christian could get online and take what's very popular today, really popular in the 80s and 90s, take a spiritual gift assessment and find out what spiritual gift they have. This is a person that doesn't even have this Holy Spirit in them, and they will come out on this printout after they click submit with a series of spiritual gifts. And this is because our culture confuses spiritual gift with talent. You might have somebody very untalented but spiritually gifted. And God often does that because God likes to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The problem is when we promote people with skills and talents above their character level. Because we're so attracted to the talent, we're so attracted to the skill, and we miss the guy sitting in the corner that's just meek, and he's not going to put himself forward, but he's bodaciously spiritually gifted, but nobody really pays attention to him because he's not a very good public speaker. So it's interesting, here you've got Paul and Moses not known for spiritual gifts. Moses hated public speaking, and he may have had some kind of speech impediment, It's interesting that here you have two major revelations of God's word, Pentateuch and epistles. (laughs) And God used these guys, men without a remarkable talent for public speaking. That's interesting. Because it puts the focus on the message, not the messenger. God can use a meek man. God can use a meek woman, a meek kid, because spiritual growth happens through servants. So if you've got your favorites and you're going to cut people off with less skill or different style, then you do not understand what really causes spiritual growth. Growth inside, loving and trusting God more, and spiritual growth throughout the community, pushing back the gates of hell so that 
lost people come to understand Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Elders in the church are told not to be unbelievably skilled, but to be qualified. Now, that's a character issue, not a skill issue. If an elder is qualified, he should be respected, not revered, respected. So with qualified and respected leaders, you have a church that is built up in unity and in missional fruitfulness. Martin Luther said, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. So Paul goes on in verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. He's referring to Apollos. Apollos came along later in this church and he's building on it. So in the previous sentences, he says, who am I? I'm not anything. And now he says, I'm a skilled master builder. That's an interesting combination of humility and confidence. Paul knew how to plant churches. He knew how to start churches. And he knew that he knew. He had served in the church long enough to say, you know what? Here's what I'm good at. Here's what God designed me to do in the building up of the church. He's got self-awareness. Now, some people think that humility is refusing to take a compliment or feeling like, oh, I'm not very important or I'm not very good at this and that. That's actually not humility. That is kind of a sick impotence in the church and it weakens the church. People need to believe that God is capable of redeeming ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what God does. That's how God causes growth. Growth comes from God, and God's growth method is to empower fools to evangelize and disciple people. That's how he does it. So, for example, God gave Sherry Coder a very beautiful voice. I love listening to Sherry sing so that she can bless the church. Now, that comes from God. That's a gift from God. In fact, Paul starts this sentence by saying, by the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. He knows exactly why he's skilled. He's skilled because of the grace of God. Totally undeserved ability that Paul has to do this church building. This guy was a Christian murderer. This guy was literally going city to city, putting Christians to death. And it's almost like God is showing off, saying, hey, I'm going to use that guy to write half of the New Testament. Because that's what I can do, says God, in the life of someone When my power gets involved. And if God can use Paul, he can use me, he can use you. Because God causes the growth. So verse 10 is showing us the importance of gaining an awareness of what God has designed us to do in the church. So that so we can say like Paul, here's what I'm good at. You might not know that. But after serving in a bunch of different places, you begin to see, wow, (laughs) 90% of that I wasn't super good at. But about 10% of it, there's just something fruitful that happened there. Might not have been the thing that you liked doing even at first. But there's this power that comes in from the Holy Spirit and you begin to have this awareness. I think God made me to do this. I'm actually good at this. Fruitful things happen in an unseen realm when I get involved in helping the church in this area. So it's good for us to have that kind of awareness and this confidence in God's grace and God's power that makes us then bold and ambitious as we go about blessing the church. So Paul is confident in his skill. 
Maybe he wasn't a very thrilling public speaker, but he was very skilled at laying the foundation of a church. And that is a skill that actually matters among church leaders. Laying the foundation of a church. Now, what does that mean? Now, a foundation isn't physical, right? Les Adcock actually did lay the actual foundation of this building. (laughs) So that's cool, but that's not what we're talking about. The foundation of a church is the most important things. It is the stuff we build our lives on. It is what the preacher emphasizes over and over. It's what you talk about in counseling. I've got this problem. What does that elder tend to emphasize over and over when you're when you're talking? And it is not complicated to lay a good foundation. Paul says in verse 11, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation? Jesus Christ. The key to Christian leadership is Christ-centeredness. Probably the most important leadership lesson that you could learn. The key to Christian leadership is Christ-centeredness. That's where real spiritual growth comes from. You do not spiritually thrive from emphasizing things like speaking in a prayer language or finding a secret to Old Testament prophecy or listening to the fish every day instead of secular music or whatever it is that other people emphasize, it is putting Jesus Christ at the center of your life. That's what causes spiritual growth. And he says the same thing in chapter 2. We already saw that passage a month ago or so where Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My guess is that people said, oh, Paul's always talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) And Paul's like, yeah. The theologian John Frame says, what is most important about Christian faith is not a set of doctrines or laws or practices or liturgies, but a person. And a church leader needs to take care how he builds, the passage says. Take care how he builds. It is very easy to emphasize other things in the name of relevance in the name of getting a bunch of people here in the name of whatever it is that we're decentralizing the gospel you can put the wrong things at the center in second timothy chapter four paul says to timothy he says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off. So take care. Take care. It's real easy to emphasize the wrong stuff. Even if you go to seminary, even if you've been in the church for a long time, even if you're reading the Bible all the time, it's really easy to decentralize Jesus Christ and put something else as the emphasis 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to the young preacher Timothy, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So how do you make Jesus Christ the foundation of your life? And I want to suggest three things. How do you make Jesus Christ the foundation of your life or the foundation of a church? Three things would be understanding following and worshiping Jesus Christ. First of all, understanding Jesus. This is when we talk and discuss and we 
have teaching times and we think hard about who is Jesus, what did he do, what is he doing, and what is important to Jesus? What are Jesus' values? Understanding Jesus. So here we're talking a little bit more theologically. For example, who is Jesus? He is one person with two natures, and those natures are both human and divine. Fully human and fully divine, Jesus Christ is God incarnate, born as a man. And we also see in Jesus Christ, the central thing that he came to do was to die in the place of sinners. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Each one of us as a sinner deserves eternal conscious punishment in hell. We deserve that eternal death because we're sinners. But God loves us. And so he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. He paid that penalty as a substitute dyer. And when we repent for our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ, the benefits of that are given to us for free. It is as if we died and he rose again from the grave. And the benefits of that are given to us as well. Eternal life. Total reconciliation with God, total forgiveness for our sins and eternal life living in the presence of God. It's an incredible thing, the gospel. When you put Jesus Christ as the center of your life, then you begin to think about your relationships. You begin to think about your future very, very differently. So understanding Jesus, Paul evangelized lost people and he discipled people by putting substitutionary atonement right in the very center. Understanding Jesus and also following Jesus, following Jesus in all of life over and over. He says to his disciples, follow me, follow me. So how do we follow Christ? One of the ways that we follow Christ is by loving people as Christ. Paul says to all people, he says, love each other as Christ loved the church. He says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so we bring grace, undeserved kindness in other people's lives because that's what Jesus has done for us. Love as Christ. Following Christ also means obedience to Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Whatever the word of God says, we obey because we are underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are following him, not simply modeling our lives after however he lived, but living underneath his authority. We also follow Jesus Christ by making disciples. What did Jesus do? He made disciples. And on his way up to heaven, he said, now you go and make disciples. And so when we follow the example of Jesus Christ, we gather other people in our lives, evangelizing and discipling as God has gifted us. We take the form of a servant in Philippians chapter two. We see that Jesus humbled himself. He emptied himself. And he became a man and he served people. And so God has highly exalted him. And so we follow Christ in so many different ways. How do we make Jesus Christ the foundation of our lives? First of all, understanding Jesus. Second, following Jesus. And finally, worshiping Jesus Christ. Since he is our Lord and Savior, we worship him and we love him. He is the head of the church. He is the one who gets glory. He is the one that we need. Now, people build churches with all kinds of different foundations. In some churches, the emphasis is on healing. Come here and get healed for all of your physical and psychological problems. Uh, You might have a correct doctrinal statement on that church's website, but the emphasis 
What they are known for is healing or maybe prophecy, words of knowledge. I have a word from God for you. And the emphasis is put on this and training people to do this. Or maybe the emphasis of this church is happiness. Come here and learn some Bible tips so that your life and your marriage and your pocketbook will go better. Or other churches emphasize being correct. And all four of us are correct, right? And we're kind of sure about you, but we'll turn on you quick. Our doctrine is perfect. We've got all the right books on our shelves. We go all to the right conferences. And within these walls, we're correct. And that's what this church emphasizes. Other churches emphasize compassion and justice. We take care of the lost and, and we take care of hurting people and so on. Now, there is good in some of those things. But when Paul planted a church, he did a whole bunch of things. But the main thing was Jesus. Understanding Jesus, following Jesus, worshiping Jesus Christ, that's the center of your life, that's the center of the church. When people emphasize other things, even good things, it does not last. It seems awesome for a while, and all kinds of people think it's authentic. But if your church is known for anything other than Jesus, then you've got a problem. And so Paul elaborates on that in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Some leaders build the church, build their families, build the disciples that are in their lives badly. And it might take a long time to see the incompetence. See, secular people evaluate church leaders by their personality, by their speaking skills, by their ability to draw a crowd, by their ability to manage staff or what have you. A worldly secular person makes a snap judgment about a church. Is this a competent leader? Is this a good place for my family to be? Snap judgment. But in the value system of the church, it is the things you can't see that really matter. An incompetent leader might have a very impressive organization, but Paul says each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. And that day, capital D, is often referred to Old Testament and New Testament is the day that Jesus Christ comes back because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the work that each one has done. So there is a qualitative difference between leaders. There is. Some are better than others. Now, in terms of Paul and Apollos and Peter and so on, it's ridiculous to fight over preferences because all of them are expert church builders. But what makes them expert? They were meek servants of Jesus Christ and they emphasized Jesus Christ. It's that simple. That's what made them expert church leaders. Other leaders are not expert builders. They do religious things. They sing the song. They even open the Bible. But the character of the man and the emphasis of the teaching is not Jesus Christ. It's other things. He may agree with the same doctrine. 
He may, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But all the central things are assumed and decentralized and something else is put in the middle. And over time, you begin to see problems. Jesus Christ has got to be the center. Jesus Christ has got to be my reputation, your reputation. When people say, well, what does your pastor talk about all the time? What's your church like? What, what happens at your church? The answer to that should have something to do with Jesus Christ. Not, oh, we've got this amazing Awana program or whatever it may be. Whatever our church may be known for. What is your church known for? It needs to be known for Jesus. So yes, be discerning about church leaders. Honor the good ones. <laughs> be careful not, not to use worldly standards, though, when you're trying to figure out which ones are good. So lots of plates spinning in this passage here. Let's put it all together as we close. In this chapter, Paul is confronting disunity at Corinth. There were groups of people that were fighting inside the church. What were they fighting over? They were fighting over their preferences for different leaders. Why were they fighting over that? It's because they didn't have the right perspective on Christian leadership. They didn't understand what Christian leaders really do. What does a Christian leader need to be like? Leader need to be like? Because a Christian leader is just a servant on assignment. A Christian leader needs to be somebody who emphasizes Jesus. Whatever his skills are, whatever his talents are, whatever his personality is, however he likes to arrange things, the emphasis of what he does and says and lives is Jesus Christ. That's what a biblical leader is. And it might not look very impressive on the outside. It might be kind of like, hmm, at first. But at the same time, a bad leader might look really great at first. Maybe you dated the wrong person at one point in your life. You know what I'm talking about. You know, over time you realize, whoa. Because sometimes it takes a while for that character to be obvious. So be discerning about who you follow and who you attach your life to. Let me close with this from Matthew chapter 7. This is the parable of building your house on the rock. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's kind of a disturbing parable. Great was the fall of it. We don't want that to happen in our lives. We don't want that to happen in our church. So what's the foundation? And you can come up with lots of different answers here, but this passage doesn't allow that. This passage says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, said Jesus, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If we make Jesus Christ the center of our lives and the center of our worship, you have a couple of results. First of all, unity in the church. Because you can handle all kinds of different styles and leaders because you know that God is behind it. You're just looking for a meek dude that talks about Jesus all the time. The second result of putting Jesus Christ at the center of everything is growth. 
you begin through years to love and trust God more fully. And as servants, God uses us to push back the gates of hell here in Auburn, in Romania, and in the uttermost parts of the world. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for taking care of us in so many different ways. Lord, the circumstances of our lives and the people in our lives come and go with varying degrees of our own enjoyment. And yet you're always there, loving us, abundantly powerful, sending people on assignment to grow your church. God, I pray that you would help us to be receptive to whatever it is that you're doing through whomever you send. And I pray also that you would send us on assignment. Give us awareness of what it is that you made us to do. So that this could be a church that grows by your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.